Now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram went as the Lord had told him and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. And Abram took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all their possessions that they had gathered, and the people that they had acquired in Haran, and they set out to go to the land of Canaan. When they came to the land of Canaan, Abram passed through the land to the place at Shechem, to the oak of Moreh. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built there an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. From there, he moved to the hill country on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. And Abram journeyed on, still going toward the Negev. Lord Jesus, thank you for coming to bring us life from above, for coming to bring many sons and daughters to glory in your crucifixion and resurrection, in your ascension and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Lord, teach us to listen to now. Teach us, as we sing earlier, to become more aware of your presence, of the wind that is blowing in our midst. Pray this in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Good evening. Welcome again on this second Sunday of Lent. A most joyous season, is it not? How's it going? How's Lent? Some of you are like, I'm indifferent. I don't even know what it is. Some of you are like, ah, it's not going so hot, Jay. Some of you are like, yeah, it's going great. And you've always wanted a season like Lent. You've always felt very scrupulous about yourself, etc. Well, I hope it's going well. And I hope you remember that Lent is not a season for those who have it all together, because I've gotten some questions. What what should we do? Can I do this? Can I do that? If you think that you have everything together, Lent actually is for you, but for the rest of us who know that we don't maybe have it all together, Lent is especially for us. It's especially a time to turn down the volume on all the unnecessary stuff in life so that we can what? We can hear from the Lord. Do you remember what we sang earlier? And I referenced to it in my prayer just now. Let us become more aware of your presence. Let us experience the glory of your goodness. Now, that's not just any presence. That's us speaking to the triune God saying, Oh God, you are everywhere and fill all things. Let us become more aware of your presence. The desert fathers, so these are monks that they fled the city and they went out to live in caves in the desert, they said that this was called attentiveness. Lent is a gift to us because in it we can cultivate attentiveness. It's a good and beautiful thing. There's a lot of noise in our life right now, is there not? There's a lot of noise in the world all around us right now. Even just driving by on Easton Road, a pleasant road, but still 
cars going by, jets flying overhead, podcasts on our phones, so many things to watch on Netflix, and YouTube. I still don't understand YouTube because now they're not here, so I'm going to talk about them. My kids watch YouTube like it's, and they can't quit. And really, it's just a bunch of guys doing stupid stuff. And I'm like, hey, man. You got the real thing right here. You don't need no internet. So there's a lot of noise all around us. And this season is a gift to us to turn down the volume so that we can hear the still, small voice. Because we know that that wind can just become part of everything going on around us, right? And it's so easy to ignore And the source of the wind, God Almighty, will let us ignore him, won't he? He's not going to force himself upon us. He will let us ignore him. But if we'll hear, if we'll listen, if we'll read and mark and inwardly digest and learn, if we'll hold fast to the blessed hope of our everlasting life, if we will receive mercy from him, if we'll let everything we do in this season be built on the foundation of grace, then we'll begin to hear him. So don't give up on Lent. Remember, every day is a, good, a new day, and it's a, every day is a good day to start Lent. Now, we hear this beautiful call from our Lord Jesus Christ, and especially from the collect for today. Oh God, whose glory it is to have mercy on all people. Be gracious to all who have gone astray from your ways and bring them again with penitent hearts and steadfast faith to embrace and hold fast the unchangeable truth of your word, Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord. Lent, again, is a time to take stock of our lives and consider how we have been reconciled to God in Christ, if indeed we have been. Or the way that Jesus tells Nicodemus, a Pharisee, a teacher of Israel, a son of Abraham, according to the law, you have to be born from above or born again. You have to be born of water and the Spirit, but we'll get to that in a minute. I want to talk to you about three journeys. Are you ready? Three journeys. Journey is another word for a trip. You're going to take a trip on a rocket ship. Three journeys. The first journey is this, a man named Abram. He started in Ur of the Chaldees, Ur, kind of close to present-day Baghdad, Iraq. But his dad, Terah, took him from Ur and moved the whole family up to Haran, which is in present-day Syria, on the Bilka River. And so there he is, minding his own business, this Bedouin fellow with a pretty big estate, and God says what? God speaks to Abram and says, Abram, I want you to leave your kindred. I want you to leave your father's country. His father had died. Leave that country that he took you to. Leave your people And go to the place that I will show you. Now, just think for a a minute about that. On this particular journey, God Almighty, whom Abram may or may not have known, God speaks to him and calls him into some invitation, into some sort of obedience. And what does Abraham do? Abram, excuse me, he's not Abraham yet. Abram says yes. Now look at the promises that God makes to Abram. He says, I'm going to make you a great nation. 
Now, first of all, we know that from Genesis 11, because all of us have been reading ahead or behind. Genesis 11, we're told that Abram's wife, Sarah, is what? She's barren. She can't have no kids. So Abram, God says, I'm going to make you a great nation. And in one sense, Abraham could be, I'm going to do that. Just go with me. You know, when I say Abraham, I'm saying, Abram, you can apply the context. We're all set. In one sense, Abram could be very offended. What do you mean you're going to make of me a great nation? My wife can't have kids. But God, St. Paul says, is the one who speaks life where there was no life. Later, God will tell Abram, is anything impossible with God? So he's going to make him a great nation. He's going, God is going to bless Abram and make Abram's name great. He's going to have a ton of followers. He's going to become an influencer. Abram, that was, that was a joke. Abram will be also, not only will he have a great name, but he will be a blessing. To, so to those that encounter Abram, they're going to encounter what? Life. Blessing. So already we get a sense of what? There's, a, there's abundance. God has a lot to give, and he's giving it to this man, Abram, and he's got this journey for Abram to take. God also says, I will bless those who bless you. Not only will you be a blessing, just in general, but those specifically who bless you, Abram, I'm going to bless them. Now we start to see Abram is, is some sort of conduit of something. Like if God has some sort of cosmic plan wherein he wants to demonstrate his love in a palatable and redeeming and incarnational way, it's like Abraham is part of that plan. Now remember, this is all connected to his journey. This is all connected to how he's going to say yes to God. Conversely, God says, I will curse those who curse you. I want to be on Abraham's team. If we're playing, you know, bananagrams or something, I want to be on his team. I want to be with him because those who bless him are going to be blessed. Those who curse him will be cursed. And there, then we have this last thing in verse 3. And in you, all families of the earth will be blessed. Now we can take that little phrase and look ahead to the entire scriptures and we can hear the gospel being preached. We can hear St. Paul, the apostle to the Gentiles, though he was a Pharisee of Pharisees, of the tribe of Benjamin, who persecuted the church with the sword, he says and proclaims this gospel, not just to the nation of Israel, but to all nations, to the Gentiles. So God makes these promises to Abraham, and we see an abundance that God is not saying, well, let's see how it goes. What does God do? God lavishes it on Abraham. God gives him more than he can handle, more we know than he deserves. And St. Paul, looking back at this, says, and, and Abram believed God. He believed. All right, God, I know my wife is barren, but you say I'm going to be a great nation, so I believe you. All right, God, I'm not sure how I'm going to be a blessing or how you're going to curse those who curse me and bless those who bless me, or much less how all the families of the earth, all tribes, all nations of the world 
This is where we get our impetus for global mission, is it not? All peoples of the earth will be blessed through me. I don't know how that's going to happen, God, but I believe you, period. So Abram goes on a journey. And as he's going, he passes into the northern part of Israel, where modern day, or where Dan is. It's not really a modern city now. Into Israel and goes down. And when he's in the land, what does God tell him? When he's finally in the land, look at verse 6. Or verse 7. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. And so Abram there built an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. So he gets to the land. He doesn't know quite yet what's happening, but he says yes. He goes on the journey. He leaves his father. He leaves his father's people. He leaves everything that had been yet familiar to him. He goes to the place where God will tell him. And when he gets there, God says, and even though these Canaanites, I'm sure they're great people, they're living there, God says, and this is the land that I'm going to give you. I'm going to give you a seed. I'm going to give you this land. And I have this promise There is an abundance of blessing poured out on Abraham in his journey. Now, that's journey number one. Journey number two. There is another son of a father. Just go with me. You probably already know where I'm going, but that's okay. Who though is eternal in his generation, meaning he has no beginning, leaves his father and his kindred in order to go on a journey. Now think about what God told Abram and think about what our Lord Jesus Christ will accomplish through his life, death, and resurrection. Abram, I will make you a great nation. Abram, I will bless you and make your name great. You shall be a blessing. Abram, I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse those who curse you. Abram, and you all tribes of the earth shall be blessed. Abram, to you will I give this land. Now, we know that Jesus and Abram are different, right? But there's some typology happening, isn't there? But more importantly, Jesus is the seed, capital S. Jesus is the offspring, capital O, of whom the father was telling Abram, through you all families of the nations, all families of the world would be blessed. Jesus is the one who leaves his perfect unity of the Holy Trinity. God is not divided in that time, but in a mystery, Christ is incarnate. He's the eternal word of God, and he's the only begotten Son of God, for God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten Son, who by his death trampled down death. And Christ chose to become incarnate of the Virgin Mary, to live among us, to be tempted by Satan. He, he can allow all of this to happen, being fully human and fully divine. And so Jesus very much goes on a journey. And the journey is not unlike Abram's because there is a goal in mind of the journey. In fact, the goal of Abram's journey is the same goal of Jesus' journey. 
And ultimately, it is this, that the Son of Man would be lifted up, that men and women could be born of water and the Spirit, could be born again or born from above, that God would bring many sons and daughters to glory. So we see that this journey that Abram has and the journey that Jesus has have specific points. And we see at the intersection of all this, this conversation with Nicodemus. Now, who's Nicodemus? He's a Pharisee. And he's coming to Jesus. What does John say? Look at your bulletin. It's on some page in there. John says, Nicodemus comes to Jesus at noon? No. In the morning? No. At night. Verse 2, on page 6 of your bulletin, this man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you come from God because no one can do the things that you're doing unless he is from God. And notice that Jesus doesn't say, you're right, Nicodemus. Ding, 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 ding. Come on in. Jesus, knowing exactly what Nicodemus needs to hear, then lays out this this arena, if you will, an arena of questions, an arena of images, where instead of delivering information to Nicodemus, instead of teaching him something by content delivery, he's going to invite him into a relationship where Nicodemus can wrestle with these things of God. And so Nicodemus is a Pharisee, It means that he's a son of Abraham because we do know that Abraham and Sarah eventually had a child, Isaac, great name. And Isaac had kids. Jacob was the one that was blessed. And then he had a bunch of kids and they had kids. And then there's this whole nation of Israel. And there's this whole long saga of the people of Israel trying to stay pure, trying to be ready for the Messiah. And notice the Pharisees are even... They're a thing only because the people of Israel want the Messiah to come. And they realize that after their exile, after their captivity, they were thrown into exile and captivity because they did not obey God. So when they get back into the land, they don't just have the the laws that God gave them in Exodus and Deuteronomy and Leviticus. They have new standards and new laws. And the Pharisees were there to teach and to enforce And to make sure that Israel stayed pure and could be ready for the kingdom of God. And Nicodemus is one of these, who is a son of Abraham, who is a fastidious observer of the law, and who is ready for the kingdom of God. And Jesus tells him this. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit... He cannot enter the kingdom of God. And before that, he says, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus thinks he has the kingdom of God market cornered. He's got the traditions of the fathers. They've got the scrolls. He's got the covenants. They've got it all. We may be an occupied place with the Romans, but they're keeping peace, and that's okay. We can observe our religion. We're ready for the kingdom of God to come. And Jesus says, you have to be born again. You have to be born from above. What? Jesus came on this, his journey, on his pilgrimage, born of the Virgin Mary, 
born under the law, born of a woman, so that we could be born from above, so that Nicodemus could hear this and be born from above. Born of water and the Spirit, a clear looking ahead to baptism. And Nicodemus is confused, isn't he? Wait a minute, wait a minute. I know basic anatomy and physiology, but I'm pretty sure that that can't happen again. And Jesus says, are you the teacher of Israel? If you can't understand what I'm trying to tell you if I give you an earthly analogy, how do you expect to understand these things with a heavenly one? And then Jesus speaks of the wind. Those who are born from above or are born again are like the wind. And I grew up in West Texas in the Panhandle. And there we have wind. In fact, the highest average wind speed per day, Chris, did you know this? Look at him, nodding his head all smug like. I forget the number, but it's like, it's like, you can Google it now, but don't now. Go find it on YouTube. Um, it's like 13 miles an hour, 17 miles an hour, but it's, it's Bushland, Texas, which is just west of Amarillo in the Panhandle. The wind is constant. It is abusive. It is a force to be reckoned with. It is, it's indelible. I mean, it leaves this mark on you that is just not only on your hair and your face and your, the trees are all over sideways, but you don't know how it, I mean, we can show how it happens meteorologically, but you can't see it, can't control it. And Jesus is saying that's a little bit like what the kingdom of God is. You can't control it, Nicodemus. Your heart may have been in the right place and trying to own it, to be ready for it for the people of Israel, but you cannot control it. But let me show you what you can do. And he says, the Son of Man came because he has to be lifted up, just like the bronze serpent was in the wilderness. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that he sent his Son on this journey, on this mission, that whoever believes in him would not perish. So the same thing that happens to Adam and Eve in the garden when they break the fast, when they disobey, when they say, God, you're not enough, the same thing that happens to them will happen to everyone else unless we look on the Son and we believe in him and we are born from above. We have zoen ionion, life from above that's eternal. And that's what Jesus came to give us. And that's what the season of Lent is meant to cultivate in us. It doesn't mean we're earning or making for ourselves life from above, eternal, but we're pressing into it. We're standing out with our faces to the wind in Bushland, Texas. And we're watching and we're waiting. So that's the second journey. Abram, first journey, leaves his father and his kindred, go to a land. He believes God. God has an abundance of blessing. Second journey, Jesus leaves his father and his kindred to be incarnate of the Virgin Mary 
so that God may pour out this abundance of blessing, not just on the people of Israel, but of all nations. And the last journey is your journey and my journey. I have a few questions for you by way of reflection as we close. First, in your journey of being born from above, what have you left behind in order to follow Jesus? Think about that for a minute. May there, maybe there have been friends, maybe family, maybe career. Maybe you've left cities. Maybe you've left family and kindred. But what has God called you away from in order to call you into something? And if nothing, that's okay too. Doesn't mean you have to go somewhere. But as you look with attentiveness at your life in reflection, you'll realize, oh, I used to really be into this thing. I really thought this was essential to my life. And you know what? The more I, I fix my eyes on Jesus, the more these things fade away. Let us become more aware of your presence. The more we're aware of his presence, the more this other stuff just kind of like, hmm? It's not as important. In your own journey, how are you now being led by God? Even, think about this season of Lent even. And again, there doesn't have to be an answer. These are just thoughts for reflection. How are you being led by God now? And lastly, there may be some of you who feel like a little bit like Nicodemus. You know how when you, maybe you've been camping before or been in another continent where there are not lights everywhere and you're walking at night and you don't have a headlamp and it's just completely dark and you're just kind of feeling your way around. There may be a place, you may be at a place in your life like that where you're like, yeah, I know, I've had this experience of being born from above. I was baptized and I've been following Jesus. But right now I'm just sort of like groping for him in the dark and I feel like Nicodemus. I'm coming to him at night and he asks me these weird questions and tells me these weird illustrations that I don't really understand. But you know the beautiful thing about Nicodemus? He was right in front of Jesus. He was right with him in that dark night. So if you feel like you're in a dark night, if you feel like you're groping, looking, finding a way towards God, can you trust God with the outcome? Can you trust him that he'll be sure to take you from point A in your journey, this nighttime journey, to point B. Really, at the end, we have to entrust all of us, we have to entrust God with outcomes. My personal, uh, my particular personality type is I love to have a goal. Let me just give you a little illustration. I used to be a, I used to be a child. <laughs> I wasn't born yesterday. When I was a kid and I was taking piano lessons, I would get a new piano book every time I would, you know, move along. And you know what the first thing I did was? I'd go to the last song in the book, and I was like, I'm coming for you, Furlise. Solfeggietto in C minor, you're mine. 
And then I'd finish that song and then there'd be another book and then another book. And all that to say is maybe you're like me where you have to know the outcome. You have to know what's going to happen so that you can put all of your energy into it. But in a sense, maybe you're like me where God's inviting you to say, you know what? I have the outcome and I want you to put all your energy into being attentive to me. So wherever you are in your, your journey, both in Lent and in life, I pray it finds you close to Jesus Christ who left his fathers and his father's kindred and he came to bring us life. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for your, your sweet goodness to us and the joy that you give us. Have mercy on us in this season, God. Thank you for our, our faults and our failures that they don't make you more angry, but they cause us to draw you, draw us, that you draw us closer to yourself in love and in grace. Have mercy on us, Lord, this season. Have mercy. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.